Welcome in, everybody. A Monday edition of Texans All Access for you. It's our March gift. Well, it's that gift every single week. And then it's that gift every single day, Monday through Friday. And I bestow upon you some gifts as well. I'm your host for Texans All Access tonight, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, joined by the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, good evening. How's your weekend, my friend? Well, I think when you say gifts, you always have to really pronounce the T, gifts, gifts. because otherwise yeah. people think you're getting a gift or a meme yep. or something yep. else, you know? So I think that that gets confusing in today's social media vocabulary environment. But Johnny, I'm doing great free agency in less than a week, really, with the legal tampering and all the... Are we going to get pre-legal tampering news? Are we going to get... You know what I'm saying? I the legal know. tampering, we get the signings not announced by the teams, but announced by the agents or whoever breaks the right. news. And then, you know, I always feel like whenever you do or allow stuff like that, which they clearly do, yep. do you get the pre-legal tampering? Is that going on as we speak right now? These are questions that I have, but I'm excited about that. And it's March. That means a lot of moving and shaking with these NFL teams. And then next month, it's draft time, baby. And the Harris 100 is out. And by the way, my friend, congratulations to you for another fine edition of hard work that the fans can enjoy that few people have the chops to put the time in the effort the knowledge all of it that you in the harris 100 do so everyone's got to check it out on houstontexans.com it's awesome thank you very much i appreciate that and that is uh that's my gift to the people houstontexans.com <laughs> check it out my twitter uh feed as well at j harris football i also did a mock draft just you know because Right. You know, we were, you know, we got, I, I submitted, I submitted the Harris 100 the Thursday night, Thursday night before the winter storm hit. Mm -hmm. So we have the winter storm hit. Everybody loses power. Everything's just gone chaotic for that whole next week. And then obviously there were so many great things that how, uh, how Cal, Cal and Hannah, uh, and the McNair family did for the city of Houston and for the fans. And that was so featured the following week. And so it took a little while to get it out there. And in the meanwhile, I did mock draft too. So I did a first round mock draft last year. I did all seven rounds and that was, that was just chaotic. I, like wow. there's no way I, 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 I might, I might try it again just because it's a kind of fun exercise, but I don't know, man. That was, oh, that was so time consuming, even beyond everything else. Because, you know, mock draft, if you forget a name, if you just forget one person's name, you can maybe recover from that. And I did that. I did. I forgot somebody early. And thankfully, I was able to go back and kind of slot him in where he should have been. I was like, okay, that was, okay, damage, not, not bad. You forget a name in a seven-round mock draft, and now you've got to move, you know, 35 different names around because now this guy's not going to be there and this guy will mm -hmm. be, but this guy – oh, forget that. So, that's, uh, but maybe. I don't know. I have fun with seven-round mock draft, but I appreciate your kind words, Mark. Thank you very much. Yes, the Harris 100 is live at HoustonTexas.com. Again, on my Twitter feed, at Football, And uh, Trevor Lawrence is number one, and we'll see him twice a year. And that's sad, but it – is what it is no problem no, no, pro no, I, no, no problem. i'm not i am not going to declare bust but like i pointed out last week 
There, there is no sure thing in this draft or in any draft, as you know. Yeah. And when you have these recent developments of Mariota, Winston, Goff, Wentz, that's all you need to know. That's a combined top two or top four in two consecutive drafts, and they're not with their teams anymore. Didn't want them. Didn't work out. Who knows? Okay, so I'll ask, ask you this question. Okay. We've been through, man, how many, how many drafts have we had? Since 2002, Texans had drafts. Uh, I mean, what? This will be our 20th draft? Is yep. that right? This is our 20th yes. draft. Okay. 20th college player draft. What one Texan, when drafted, did you feel like – because you, you say that a lot, and you're right. There is no slam dunk. Mm. Which Texan, when he was drafted, whether it turned out that way or not, did you look at it and go, that's not a sure thing, but it's as close as it can get? Honestly, number one is Andre Johnson. Yeah. Third overall pick, 2003, when they drafted him, I thought, at the very least, he's going to be a really good receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Now, he turned out to be a Hall of Fame receiver, but – I thought he'll be really good at the very yeah. least. The downside was was not that far down, right? With Watson, I got to think here of all the picks ever, Johnny. With Watson, I felt I wasn't sure. You know, I thought yeah. I was hopeful. I thought it was cool. I knew it needed to be done because, right. look, they're beating their head against the wall at the quarterback position for years. You have Mallet Hoyer. The next year, you have Osweiler. And I applauded the organization and Rick Smith's move and everything because I thought, you know what? You just went all in on Osweiler and somehow got out of it, and you're going all in again right. on Watson. Congratulations, because you have to do that at the quarterback position. And they did. And I didn't know it was going to work out as well as it did, especially early on. My gosh, those six and a half games in 17. But I got to say, Andre Johnson was the one I thought the most highly of when he was drafted. Uh, not to you know rule out the other guys. I had my doubts about Mario. Yeah, he turned out to be a really good player, uh, not a Hall of Fame player, but a really good player. And I don't want to go through them all. I thought Cushing was going to be pretty good, pretty yeah. good, and he that turned out be to mine. be great early on. Yeah, that would be mine. Cushing, when Cushing was drafted, I remember thinking he won't bust. He can do so much on a football field. I don't think he is going to be a bust at all. I think he is going to be a really good player. I think the the lowest that his his floor was to just be a starter that was it and I think had Kush not had those injuries in back-to-back -back years I think we would have seen a different Kush throughout you know throughout his career yeah but to me when he was drafted I remember thinking yeah that's that's solid that is that's a strong pick that is that's the one where I feel like not maybe a slam dunk pro bowler because I'm with you like there 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 is no such thing You'd like to think there is, and I'd, I'd probably say it on draft night. Oh, this guy's a slam dunk starter. This guy is this. But it really, a lot of times, doesn't turn out quite that way. Mm -hmm. But when Cushing was drafted, I felt like, yes, that guy is as close as he gets to a slam dunk, going to be a great player. I, I mean, I love this conversation because when I think about J.J. Watt, right, and they talk about he was booed draft night, which is urban legend. There was a smattering, but it wasn't really a heavy boo. It wasn't like the Mario Williams pick which had less to do with Mario than it had to do with who they weren't picking right. in the 2006 draft. But when Watt was picked, my expectations were, all right, I read about this guy, you know, I've heard about him. He's you know, a high draft choice candidate. And I thought 
at the very least, they got a super solid defensive lineman. In my wildest dreams, I had no idea it was going to turn out the way it did with three right. defensive player of the year awards and everything like that. I thought he was going to be more like a six sack a year kind of guy, real solid D line. And remember the thought there was, you know, for people like me, do they really need this guy? Don't they need this like speed demon outside pass yeah. rusher, somebody to get to the quarterback? Well, they got somebody to get to the quarterback. He was just built a little differently than some of the other guys and he was yep. phenomenal. So uh, that one worked out really well. How about Kareem, John? Because in 2010, when they drafted Kareem, McCordy was there, Kyle Wilson. There was a lot of talk like it was going to be one of those two guys. Yeah. Uh, and how how do you not draft Kyle Wilson? There was I mean, who was the third guy? Was there another guy? I can't yeah, remember. I was, think Kareem was. Uh, there was Devin McCordy. No, there was three. It was Kareem Wilson right. and McCordy. Those were the All three. Right. So Kareem was kind of the upset pick here in a way. Yeah. And the rookie year didn't go as well as you would want, right? 2010, we all remembered. I mean, Kareem was not having a great debut season. But the following year, he started to come around really big, and he had a real nice career here. So you just never know how it's going to work out. And I think the Kareem pick is another good lesson where, well, wait a minute, why'd you pick him? Why didn't you pick these other guys? Now, McCourty would have been a good pick because he moved to safety. He's still playing great. Kareem's still playing, too, for that matter. But Kareem was a really good pick. It turned out to be a very solid pick. Yeah, I think that's the – I remember when he was drafted. We were doing draft, the, the draft show that night, and I remember Lance, our buddy Lance Zerline, we kind of looked at each other like, is that the right guy? Mm-hmm. And, you know, two years prior, I had, was not very happy with the pick, and it turned out that was maybe the best pick <laughs> that, that, that Rick Smith maybe made outside of Deshaun in 2017. That was Dwayne Brown in 2008. So I made sure when the Texans came up, like, all right, just keep your cool, whatever. And I just remember hearing Kareem's name going, okay, yeah, you know, I wasn't totally excited about it. But I remember thinking in my mind, all right, we'll see how this goes at corner. Mm -hmm. And then he got in the league. And the thing about it is the Patriots saw it right away. The Patriots saw it with McCourty right away. They're like, he even had a good year corner. And then they went, eh, you're going to safety. And within a year or two, he went to safety. Kareem should have been at safety by 2015 or 2016. But the Texans could never just get him over there and let him be there. And now you look at him with the Broncos, and he's had two pretty solid years with the Broncos playing safety. And he he would have had a good year with us in uh, 18, 18, yeah, 18, uh, playing safety. And I think at that point you get a good look at what he can do, but he kept having to go to corner. He kept having to go out there. Yeah. And maybe helped him in free agency that the Broncos paid him maybe some corner money, I guess. But then he ended up moving to safety immediately. He's a darn good safety. His instincts, everything. The Patriots just saw McCourty sooner, and that fit for Devin McCourty. But you're right. Kareem was one where I was like, nah. And then, of course, after the first year, you're like, oh, boy, this is not going well. And I think in large part, and people ask me this all the time, about players, prospects, what about this guy going here, what about this guy going there, all that kind of stuff. It matters not only where that guy goes, but who's there when he gets there. Because the best thing that ever happened for Kareem Jackson in Houston, yes, Wade Phillips was important and others as well, Vance Joseph, et cetera. Jonathan Joseph was absolutely massive for Kareem Jackson. To have that, the OG, to have – to be able to just bounce ideas off of and to help him along the way. It's no coincidence when Jonathan Joseph came here, that's when Kareem Jackson went 
you know, to a higher level of this play and just got better and better year after year after year. There's no, there's really, to me, no secret that Jonathan Joseph meant that much. And that just goes to show, look, Trevor Lawrence can do everything right at Clemson, can look the part, but he might get to Jacksonville and go, man, this is not the kind of locker room guys don't support me. I don't, I don't know that to be true. I'm just saying that's what it could be. And I think a lot of guys kind of, can struggle in those environments when they don't have quite the support that they had, like they had at Clemson, like they had at other places. So uh, I think where a guy goes and who's there to aid and support. And you just hear the horror stories over the years, you know, like Alex Smith. We talked about Alex Smith before. Alex Smith went out to San Francisco and he was just kind of on an island. Like nobody would talk to him, got in a locker room. You know, guys are kind of all about themselves. You know, then he had four or five different offensive coordinators and it was just a mess. Then it was Harbaugh finally got there and settled things down, and then Alex Smith became, you know, a viable starting quarterback in the NFL, not to mention a Pro Bowl quarterback. So a lot of that and all that matters. But I just think about the the slam dunk aspect, and you know, talking about Trevor Lawrence, he's just, you know, it's you're right, he's not a slam dunk, but he's pretty darn close. Now, a guy that will not be a Jaguar but will be a Texan, we found out. Mark, just after our show on Friday, is Justin Britt. Played center for the Seahawks. He's Basically, he's played all over the offensive line his career at Missouri. He was a tackle. He's played some guard. Then he moved into center. He injured his ACL, I think, in November of 19 or October of 19. So he's been out since. So it's been a while. But, Mark, it's a one-year deal. I think it caps out at $5 million. Aside from the business of it, I, I, I don't, I like it. I don't have an issue with it. Now, do we know if he can play coming off the ACL? We don't know. We don't. We don't have any idea, none whatsoever. I can tell you, before he played, I thought he was a really solid interior offensive lineman, no questions asked. After, we don't know. But taking a risk at one year, three and a half million dollars up to five, Mark, I'm not upset with that one at all. I think that's actually a nice way to start kind of the free agent player acquisition team building process. Your thoughts? Well, you think about who's played center for this team in the last 10 years, right? You had Chris Myers, a pro bowler. Uh-huh. You had Ben Jones play. He's still starting on a pretty good line yep. in Tennessee. You know, you, you did dabble with Greg Mance when Nick Martin was hurt, right? Yep. Early on in Nick's career, Nick's first year. And, you know, now you're going to bring in another era, whatever that era is. Is it Britt? Is it somebody else? You do have other players, like you said, under contract right now as, as, we, as we do this show. You know, you have Zach Fulton who has some center capability. You have Max Sharping who has some center capability potentially. Uh, you might have another guy that you draft. You might have your next Greg Mance who actually can play center, can play interior, can be that sixth man type of player perhaps. I'm not – promising anything here so there are a lot of different directions they can still go but you have to have that veteran capability on your line so I think that's good and as far as when you have an old lineman who's got an ACL or something that's eh, an old lineman put some tape on it come on <laughs> you know you don't have to slalom around you know yeah. you're not making cuts I make it sound easy right sure yeah, of course. Uh, but god these guys don't have to move around much just knock people over you're fine put some dirt on it good all you got to do one thing when i went back and i read uh you know read up on justin Britt, and i do this for my draft prospects for interior linemen if there's one thing that i find 
more than anything else, it makes me that much more excited. And that is wrestling. If I can find an interior offensive lineman that has wrestling in his background or a defensive lineman with wrestling in his background, there are two of them in this draft that I know for a fact. One is Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma Center. The other is Oso Digizua, defensive lineman from UCLA. And when you watch them, it's like you can see the wrestling. And that's what Justin Britt was. Justin Britt was a heck of a high school wrestler. So that can come through in a guy's play. So hopefully there's still something left in the tank. He comes here after being with the winner up in Seattle and comes to Houston. Uh, I definitely, definitely not mad at that whatsoever. All right, Mark, last Friday we did a little either or. I had a little bit left that I didn't get a chance to ask you and a few new ones. So we'll do a little either or next right here on Texans All Access. Yes. Yes. Welcome back to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans radio studio. Mobile version continues in the March, but that's quite all right. John Harris here, the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer there. Mark, Friday was a fun show. We did a lot of either-ors, and I had some, I had some leftovers. All right. And then I decided to add a few more to it. So let's do a little bit more either-or. And it kind of encompasses a lot of different things. In fact, it encompasses your opinion it's all your opinion, but okay. there are a couple of them that are just personal preference. You can't be right or actually you can't be right or wrong either way. So here we go. Number one, you've got to win one game, Super Bowl, championship game, preseason game, regular season game. Doesn't matter the importance, but you have to win it. Would you rather have either Fitzy at age 38? Mm. or cam at age 32 fitzy i mean the ability to throw the ball is so good still it really is i know the interception is coming but (laughs) i feel that way about cam newton too the interception is coming i just feel like with fitzy i got a better chance to make plays early now not he can make plays with his legs but it's not the same as cam newton i mean cam newton they re-ran the patriots seattle game from this past season on nfl network And remember near the goal line late, I didn't get to this part, so I'm going to remember it incorrectly perhaps, but they had a goal to go and they just ran Cam into the line maybe a couple of times thinking, all right, he's a big dude. Let him just pull people over with the O-line and let's go for it. They didn't make it. They didn't make it. But you can do that kind of stuff with Cam and be effective still. It's almost like they were just using him up. Like, we're just going to use you up this year, whatever (laughs) you got left, and then see you later and we'll go to the next guy. How about the rumors for them trying to uh, – I don't even know if they're rumors as much as it's just media stuff, and we've seen a lot of that lately around here. But Garoppolo back to New England, that kind of talk. That's interesting. But, yeah, I'll go with Fitzy, Johnny. I like Fitzy. You know this. And which, whichever team gets Fitzy, they get great interviews, fun moments in the locker room, great Zoom calls if it's still a COVID world. So yes. go Fitzy. And Cam, too. You know, with Cam, you get the outfits. You get – some interesting weigh-ins on social media from other people on what he is wearing. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm totally respectful of the wardrobe. Go for it. Be yourself. Yes. Be your best self. I always loved hop dressing up or yes, whatever absolutely. Watson's wearing. Just do it. It's fun. It's entertainment. We're not – look, when my doctor comes to operate on me, even then, if you want to dress up like Superfly, go for it. I don't care. As long as you're doing your job on the back end, mm-hmm. it don't matter. So – that, what you just said, made me think of one. Mm. 
Ryan Fitzpatrick has played for every team in the AFC East. Minus one. Jimmy Garoppolo once played for the New England Patriots. Patriots quarterback in 2021. Either Fitzy and drafting a rookie or Jimmy G returning to Boston. That's a great question. I guess the question is, what would they do? And by the way, you were talking about whether I'm right or wrong. 75% of the time, I am right all the time. That's true. Just just remember that. Absolutely. So as far as New England's quarterback situation goes, Garoppolo knows the system. They liked him. Can't believe they traded him for a two, but they did. (sighs) I still Harvard, which is down the road at Cambridge. They don't care. They don't care. Smart guy. Yeah. Smart guy. I he knows. secretly think. I secretly think, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm saying it out loud. I secretly think that I'm saying out loud that NFL coaches do not like smart guys. That's just my thought. They don't like being questioned, right? No. So they don't it's, like smart guys. But Fitzy's <laughs> Fitzy, I think, is a guy that he's got kind of this. Um, he's got kind of this good old boy sort of feel to him, and yet mm-hmm. he scored a fifty on his wonderlick yeah. way back in the day. So yeah. Fitzy or Jimmy G in New England? Well, remember what he told me about the system, the Bill O'Brien system, which is the Patriot system, right? Yeah. It's the hardest system he's ever had to learn, yeah. right? And he's been a few places since, right. but I would imagine that's still the case. However, he did make a lot of plays here, and he had a record amount of touchdown passes in one game, six against the Tennessee Titans in his comeback game after they put him back into the lineup when Ryan Malik got hurt. I think it's intriguing, Fitzy in New England. Here's the deal. You don't have to acquire him in a trade, and he doesn't have a huge contract, right? You're at the end of the career with Fitzy. You can still bring the gas, and you're going to draft a quarterback and develop him. With Garoppolo, you're saying you're going to be our starter for 10 years, we hope, if you don't get hurt, which you do often. And I like Jimmy G. I really do. But they might view it as too expensive in terms of draft capital and actual capital, whatever they have to invest to get Jimmy G back in New England. So they'll go with Fitzy, and I'll go with Fitzy in New England too. I really don't want to see him, but he's a great dude, as we said. Okay, we're sticking with the quarterback theme. Now, Drew and I have been doing on In the Lab, we have been doing every uh, Wednesday, we have been drafting eight players. We, there are 32 teams. We divide up into four episodes. We have one player from each franchise, and we got to try and fill out a team. So you can't just draft, you know, one, you know, all quarterbacks. Yeah. You can't just draft all defensive ends. And so – Last week was the first time that either one of us took a quarterback, and it was me. And really, the decision that I had came down to two guys. So I'll ask you. And I could have gone either way. You have to win one game. Mm -hmm. Do you take either Peyton Manning or John Elway, each in their prime? If I have to win one game, I'm taking Elway in his prime. Elway can make plays in a variety of ways. Uh, I like Manning a lot. I really do. And he was a terror to us. But I think that you got to go with Elway. You know, Vanderkid, who I bring up a lot, I know, but he's an interesting market research focus group for me because he's 15. He's learned about the league history, NFL Network, Madden. He's learned a ton. 
And he said, what was Elway like when he went to the three Super Bowls and lost? When he went to the two Super Bowls later and won with Gary Kubiak as, a, mm-hmm. as offensive coordinator, they were a different kind of team Most than when they were coached by Dan Reeves and he had the three amigos and all of that. He was making plays left and right any which way he could. He could throw it 70 yards on the run. I mean, the guy is just phenomenal, was just phenomenal. And I really think that uh, he's a tremendous player, one of the best quarterbacks ever, no doubt. And maybe he doesn't get discussed enough when you're having that greatest quarterback ever conversation. He's not the greatest quarterback ever, but he's right up there. And I'm going to take him over Manning for one game. If I have to go through a season and I can go through camp and training and all that, I think that or multiple seasons or whatever, I, I think yeah. Peyton Manning is probably the guy, but because he coaches the team and he just affects everybody around him in such a positive way. But I'll go with Elway for the one game. I ended up going with Peyton Manning Ooh. because I went with Von Miller. I liked my Von Miller, Peyton Manning duo yeah. better than John Elway and a Colt defender. So that's what I, I went with. And I felt dirty doing it because I just, I just was mm. never, I, I'll tell you this. I was never a big Peyton guy. This, this happened for one other athlete too. I was not really a big Peyton guy at all while he was playing at all. But then when he retired and I look back on his career and I see him now and I go back and watch and I'm like, man, I just have such a higher appreciation for him. And the other player was Larry Bird. Same way. Yeah. Hated Larry Bird. Hate, hate, hated Larry. In sports, hate way. Right. But then when I went back and looked at his career and I was like, man, he played the game like I would have wanted to play. And so that's why I was like, okay, uh, Larry Bird's my guy. And, and Peyton's kind of become that that more so now, but because he beat us so many times, I still have that in my craw, stuck in my craw. All right. You get one of these two defensive players for 10 years in their prime. Either Brian Cushing or D'Amico Ryans. Uh-uh. Ah, and they're prime all the way through? Ten years in their prime. I think I'm going with Cushing. Because Cushing, I think, in his prime, that rookie year, he was so explosively good. He could intercept the ball. He could get a sack. He could get the ball out. I mean, D'Amico did all those things too, okay? But I just think D'Amico is that – that leader type, uh, you know, I don't remember the amount of spectacular plays from D'Amico as I do from Cushing, just off yeah. the top of my head. And I love them. You know, I love D'Amico Ryans. You know, I thought mm-hmm. D'Amico Ryans, uh, beloved Texan, was one of, when he was here, he was one of my favorite players. And he still is really one of my favorite players ever, honestly. And I don't think he gets talked about enough when we talk about, you know, guys who played here who are, you know, people's favorite players or the best players in the history of the franchise and all that. He was phenomenal here. He was great. Like we said, team leader, multi-pro bowler, all of that. But I don't know. Cushing at his best was, like I said, explosive and really could, you know, you say wreck a game. That's usually a pass rusher, a guy who plays on the line of scrimmage more. But, you know, as a linebacker, he was a pretty good game wrecker. The other guy that I would have said, Mm-hmm. that I felt when that guy was drafted, like, okay, that's a slam, that's a slam dunk, that there's no way that guy won't be good, was D'Amico. Even though it was in the second round, I just felt mm-hmm. like this guy is going to be everything that you want in a football player and then some. Okay, 
Well, he was the first pick in the second round, yeah. and uh, I'll never forget because everyone was excited about that pick, and it took some of the sting off the way people felt about the first overall yeah. pick in the draft, which was Mario. That's very true. Okay. You get to win one championship. Would you like to win the Masters, or mm. would you like to cut the Nets down and win a Final Four championship? Masters. It's me? Am I coaching the basketball game? <laughs> You're the most important person on that basketball team, whether you play or you coach. I think the Masters, you, you know Not what? You get to go back every year. You're going first on the ladder, cutting one string off. You're the one at the end holding the net because you're that guy. It's tremendous. Both are obviously tremendous, but I'm saying the Masters because there's just something. It's an individual thing, yeah. but let's just put that aside. You get to go back every year and have the dinner, and you get to play every year, no matter how much you suck later. I mean, there are guys <laughs> who've won the Masters who are horrible, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, where are these guys? They're in the Federal Witness Protection Program of whatever yes. country they belong to, and right. they get to come back to the Masters and play as long as they can stand upright, basically. Uh, after a while, uh, the Augusta National people are going to say, you know what, I think, I think you're done now. Uh, ceremonial. You can do the ceremonial <laughs> tee shot, but you could still play for a long time. I think the Masters is something about it, Johnny. I love it. Okay, so if you could be in one sports fraternity, mm. would you – Rather be in the Masters winners fraternity uh, or the one that Andre's in, the Heisman Trophy fraternity. I think the Heisman Trophy fraternity is so cool. I think it's cooler. I, I, I'd rather be with those guys, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I, I, I'll say this over and over. Andre won the most, I think it's the most prestigious individual honor in a team sport, right? Agreed. You, you, you always remember who they are. It, you know, MVP of a World Series or a season or whatever in baseball, football, but pick your sport. Yeah, they're great, and it means you're great if you've won one. There's no question about that. But there's something about the Heisman that separates itself, and it's the most recognizable trophy in sports, certainly individual trophy. I mean, you could say, well, the you know, the uh, Lombardi trophy is the most recognizable trophy. I don't know. Maybe. The World Series trophy is very recognizable. I think the Stanley Cup is actually more identifiable than either of those as far yes. as the actual piece goes. But individual trophy in professional or team sports, that's it. It's not professional. In team sports, that's it. It's the Heisman, no doubt. Yep. I agree with you. Mark, appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Coming up next is our good friend, Deepi Sidhu, and she's got a special interview with one of our good friends there with the Houston Texans who is so instrumental in community relations. Everybody in the building, in some way, shape, or form, works with our good friend Candace Mayberry. Players, coaches, employees, everybody, and people outside the building know all about her as well. You'll get to learn next. Candace Mayberry with DPC right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. We got one final segment of this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, and I'm going to pitch the ball out to my good friend, D.P. Sidhu, and she's going to take it over to goal line tonight with one of our good friends from the office who is instrumental in so many things that happen in the community, and that is our good friend, Candace Mayberry. Here's D.P. March is Women's Month. It's International Women's Day. And I really wanted to sit down with you. You and I have worked on some really cool initiatives together. But 
first things first, for people that don't know what you might do, can you give a brief description of what your job is? For the sure, day? absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super, super excited to be here. So again, Candace Mayberry, Senior Community Relations Manager for the Houston Texans. So I say my job is a little bit of this, a little bit of that, whole bunch of everything. I am responsible for a lot of our community relations initiatives. I work with a team of four other people in our department. Um, some of the pieces of the pie that belong to me are our um, cancer awareness initiatives. So a lot of our breast cancer awareness things, our partnership with United Way. Let's see, what else is there? There's some other things that I do. Some of our foundation events, um, I kind of partner with our foundation team on those things. And then the probably the biggest chunk of my role is um, legends coordinator for all of our Houston Texans legends, which is our former players. Anybody who was a former who has played for the Texans from 2002 to anytime recently, who recently retired, I serve as their contact to the organization and to the league for anything they may be looking for or any resources they may need. All right. So I used to do a podcast a few years ago called I Want Your Job. And I feel like a lot of people may hear this and want your job. Okay. Is this how you started with the Texans? Did you start at this position? Did it sort of morph into this over the years? And, and is this kind of what you thought that you might be doing when you joined the Texans? So that's a very loaded question um, that I'm happy to explain. It is not. Um, I actually started off uh, as an administrative assistant to the community development department in 2008. Um, I was hired by a lady who had just recently gotten a job here and she and I had met a couple of times. She thought I was really organized and she wanted me to come in and be the, the assistant to the department. Great. No problem. So she didn't last very long here, um, only for personal reasons. And so from there, she had hired staff of like, a there were a total of three of us. Um, she hired us and we just were kind of here trying to figure this thing out. And from there, we moved around from a couple of different departments. But in, in the, moving in, the moving and the transition, I became a coordinator, marketing and community development coordinator. And then I assumed some more responsibilities. Then my position moved into just the community development department. And from there, I've just kind of been growing and striving and taking on more responsibilities and adding more to my piece of the pie since then. So was this how it started? No, absolutely not. Was it what I expected? Absolutely not. I jokingly tell people, I thought I was going to be here for about five years, you know, oh, <laughs> do this thing for five years, see what it's like. I wasn't a huge sports fan. I've actually learned sports since I've been here. I probably shouldn't say that on a podcast, but I've actually learned more about sports since I've been here. But I was like, oh, I'll be here five years, you know. Now I'm on like five years times three, uh, 14, going into my 14th season. I'm still here. So still loving it. So no, it was not how I thought it would start. Um, but I'm definitely glad it's where it's at. Yeah, it's one of those how it started versus how it's going memes. Exactly. Career, exactly I feel like. what it is. Exactly uh, what it is. You, you talk about community development. You may not have been passionate about sports, but I feel like you were so passionate about community development in your contacts. I, I know recently we had the winter storm freeze and, mm -hmm. and you helped organize five food trucks in the third ward. You've got a lot of contacts. And, and that seems to be um, a really big passion of yours is giving back to the community. So give us a little bit of background. You grew up in Houston, correct? You're, sure. you're really well connected. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I often tell I people say, they didn't hire me because I know uh, football. They hired me because I know community. I am a native Houstonian, been here all my life. Uh, my parents 
are native Houstonians. We just, I'm one of three kids, um, went to high school here, went to college at Prairie View A&M University, yay for PV, and just have done a few different things um, prior to me getting with the Texans. I've worked in politics. I worked on a couple of city council races. I worked on a congressional campaign. I worked for a chamber of commerce. I've done a little bit of this, little bit of that, whole bunch of a lot of stuff. But it, it kind of boils down to something my mother and I always talk about, it's exposure. My parents exposed us to a lot of different things. Um, I've been a member of the rodeo for 16 years on various committees. So some of my connections come from there. Some of my connections come from my political campaigns and just being in the community. A lot of the things that I've done have just put me you know, on the front lines of working with people and communities and community leaders. So I've just kind of you know, grab a contact here, grab a contact here, grab a contact here. And it's brought me to where I am today, kind of going back to the story I mentioned about the lady who initially hired me. She and I, I think, met a couple of times, only a couple of times. And from there, she decided that I should come work for her. So I think that's kind of where it just comes from is, you know, knowing the people here, knowing people there, bringing them all together and pulling them to up to the next place that you um, you go to. Well, you and I worked on a really cool initiative. You were actually leading this initiative and you had this vision for it, uh, the Black History Month um, initiative for the Houston Texans. It was, it, was, it was something that was geared towards people within the organization, the employees, to sort of teach them about Black history in Houston specifically, because I think a lot of people may know some things about Black history. They may know about history in Houston. They may not know about Black history in Houston. And so you had a committee of people, you had this vision, you had these really amazing speakers and guests that you lined up. I was helping in the sense that I was moderating these sessions and I really had a crash course on black history in Houston because I felt like I started at beginner level. And by the end of it, I felt like I learned so much just in the initial research, in the moderate, in, in the sessions that we moderated. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people got stuff out of it. We, we're going to have links um, to it up on HoustonTexans.com, but Talk a little bit about that, why that was so important for you when you got the vision for that. Because I know Black History Month, every single year, we celebrate it, but this was really different in the way that that we um, exposed the employees and, and ourselves to what Black history in Houston really means. Absolutely. So every year I've been tasked with figuring out how we're going to, as an organization, commemorate, celebrate, acknowledge Black History Month. And it's typically something that we've done with one of our community partners, whether it's taking kids from the YMCA to see a play at the Ensemble Theater, one of the um, only African-American theaters in the country. Or one year when the Super Bowl was here, there was a traveling exhibit of um, Hall of Famers from HBCUs. So we took some of some football players from local football teams to see that exhibit with some of the Hall of Famers in the area and our legends. So every year we've done something different. Last year, we went to go see a play about the Green Book. And then we took the kids to a place that had been featured in the Green Book. If you don't know what the Green Book is, I tell you to definitely Google it, look it up. You'll be very, very surprised and enlightened about what exactly it was. But we took kids to see a play about it. And then we took them to a location that was actually featured in the Green Book and kind of gave them that authentic Green Book experience. And so from there, was the thought was, okay, this is cool. We should do more like this. And how can we get the staff involved a little bit more? And so to be perfectly honest, Steve, after everything that happened last year with all the social injustice that happened in the year 2020 and then the pandemic and just 2020 gave us everything, it seems like, last year. It really did. Um, yeah, absolutely. My thought was, how do we 
take this external thing that we do and, and bring it in internally. And the more I started thinking about it, I grew up in Houston in Third Ward, which is predominantly African-American. And I started thinking, you know, people ask me all the time, what's what's a Third Ward? What's Fourth Ward? What, what are the wards about? And I said, well, you know, maybe that's a good opportunity. This is a good opportunity to do some Black history here locally. Um, a lot of people, politicians, educators, musicians, celebrities have come from the Houston area, but we don't often tell those stories. So I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to kind of have Black History in Houston 101 and share it with our with our staff. And I'll be honest with you, I've been here all my life. I learned a lot. I learned quite a bit during the process of us planning this event. So I'm very thankful that uh, everyone was very receptive to it and that people enjoyed it and learned a lot. I think the coolest part of all of it was even after learning about it every single day, at the end of the, the week, um, you guys had these Celebrate Black History boxes that were distributed. And, you know, I wish I could take credit for it, but you and and and, and this was the entire committee, you know, everyone sort of had their role uh, in reaching out to Black-owned businesses and putting things in the box from different Black-owned businesses locally, because there's a lot of great businesses out there. There's a lot of great products. People just don't know about them. And then there was a list of uh, businesses that you can that you can go to if you like the products in the box. One of my favorite things was the multicultural crayons, the crayons <laughs> of different skin colors. I mean, such a small thing. Yeah. And I, and I thought, and I gave it to my youngest cause he's, he's still at that age where he colors and stuff. And yeah. I thought, you know, growing up in school, like there's so many of us that were like, um, I don't, orange or yellow does not apply to me <laughs> and brown doesn't apply to me, but it was this beautiful. And, and my son, he put the crayons on his skin and we picked which one oh, uh, matched cool. his skin. And I was, I just thought it was such a, it was just such a nice box. Uh, full of uh, full of everything. So to me, I think that was a great bow on all of it. Uh, I want to ask you about Cecil Shorts because I know that they sort of tricked you into doing this podcast. You <laughs> thought you were coming into the you are doing the podcast now, but I am. Um, we sort of did a little trickery on Miss Candace Mayberry. We told her that she was doing the podcast, but really, you got a very special message from Cecil Shorts, who's now a Texans legend, helped moderate the Black uh, History Month initiative. What was what was that about, Candace? So I definitely was tricked. These people are tricky, guys. I was surprised with a message from Cecil Shorts III. Cecil Shorts is one of our Texans legends. He was with our team for a couple of years. He's been a legend probably for three or four years. And he's absolutely amazing. I mean, there are some guys, Cecil is one of them, that I can call and say, hey, can you do this tomorrow at three o'clock? And they're like, yeah, let me figure it out. I'll definitely be able to do it. I can make it happen. Um, and Cecil is one of those guys that he can definitely make it happen no matter how late or how early I call. But his message was super, super sweet and super, super surprising. And I'm a hard person to surprise. But it was just really him expressing how appreciative and how grateful he is for my role um, with the Legends community and how passionate I am about the group and making sure they get the, th the things that they need and making sure they have a connection with the organization. So it was very, very heartfelt, very, very shocked. I was not expecting it, um, but I'm just appreciative that, that, you know, that message, Cecil was able to record that message and share his kind words with me. So it was, it was neat. Well, Cecil sort of speaks for all of us in some sense when we say, Thanks to our good friend Candace Mayberry and all that she has done. But you know if Cecil is reaching out that way and what a sweetheart of a guy he is, that is very, very cool. And it also shows you the impact that Candace Mayberry has for everybody that she comes in contact with. And I'm telling you, she keeps those legends in line, man. Those guys have to answer to her. And it is really, really cool when we have our homecoming game and they show up. That's all because of what Candace Mayberry does. Uh, amongst other things. And 
why not celebrate her greatness with this organization on International Women's Day in March, Women's Month. And it's great to have DP along, who did a great job with our uh, Black History, celebrating Black History Month as we did last week. She was tremendous as a moderator doing all of that. So props to her. Props to you for listening to the show. Big thanks to Mark for stopping by, to Joanna for producing, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. As always, go Texans. Let's go Texans. Let's go Texans.